0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, time for us to begin. Nine o'clock snuck up on me, uh, so we are, we are starting a little bit late. Uh, but we do need to begin. We, we have quite a bit of ground to cover um, in this Lesson 4 of our study on this book, The Israel of God. In Lesson 4 we will be covering, is it Chapter 3 of Robertson's book? I always have to look at his name. I don't know what's going on here, but like every time I go to say his name I have to look at it on the cover. Robertson. Robertson. You should be able to remember that. A very important chapter we're going to be talking about the people. The Israel of God, its people. If you remember we took quite a bit of time to get through that second chapter dealing with the land of Israel and we just settled there for a time. We're going to cover this entire chapter today dealing with the people of Israel. Um, By way of introduction, I would highly encourage you to read this chapter. I'm going to provide only a high-level overview of many of its parts. um, And then we will read lots of Scripture as we come more towards the uh, second half of, of this chapter. That's what I want to do with you this morning. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Our Father in Heaven, we do thank You for this Lord's Day. We thank You for your kindness shown to us in Christ Jesus. For the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us, earthly blessings that we enjoy, we give you thanks for those. Above all, we thank you for Christ, the Messiah, crucified and risen, and the life that we have in Him. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So the question that is being posed in this chapter is exactly who is Abraham's seed? The designated heirs of the covenant... Promises of God. Uh, to be more precise, and I'm here quoting Robertson on page 34, how do Jews and Gentiles relate to the seed of Abraham down through redemptive history? I suppose uh, that this is another way of stating the question, who is the true Israel of God? Uh, who is Abraham's seed truly? And who is the true Israel of God? Uh, Really, I guess we might say that the true seed of Abraham is Christ and all who are united to Him by faith. And we will be saying something very similar to that concerning the question, who is the true Israel of God? Uh, It is Christ and all who are united to Him by faith. We might also say it is the elect of God in every age. And so what we will find in, in in this chapter is that When we talk about the seed of Abraham, and when we talk about the Israel of God, we may discuss these things on two different levels. Who is the seed of Abraham? Well, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all who descended from them, ethnic ethnic Jews, right? The Hebrews, uh, they are the seed of Abraham. Well, Well, yes, but there is also a true seed of Abraham, that is those who have faith in the seed of Abraham, Christ Jesus the Lord. And, and again, we may say something similar of the question about Israel. Who is the true Israel of God? Well, there is, and there was under the Old Covenant, an ethnic Israel. There was a nation designated as Israel. But as we will see, not all Israel is Israel. That is Paul's language. Uh, there was an Israel, but then there was an Israel. You know, an Israel of faith, a true Israel. Even under the Old Covenant, and, and especially uh, today. There are seven observations that Robertson makes, and they're all good observations. They, they kind of, I think, they build as they go. I don't think any one of them is is earth shattering by itself, but as they are all considered together, I, I think you, you'll understand uh, the point that is being made here in this chapter. Seven aspects of the identity of the Israel of God. On page 34, Robertson says, Abraham was originally simply another Gentile. He was the person specifically called by God to be an instrument in the fulfillment of His redemptive purposes. The Scriptures are very clear about this, that Abram uh, was called from out of the pagan nations he was called to leave his homeland and he was made into a, a, a peculiar people. And that's an important observation. In other words, whatever we think about ethnic Israel, we're not to think that they are somehow um, unique and special uh, as a race of men. As if there is something peculiar about them in an inherent sense. No, Abraham Abram was just another Gentile and yet the Lord called him out of darkness and set him apart Um, to to make Him into a holy people under the Old Covenant. From the beginning, this is the second observation made on page 35, any Gentile could become a full-fledged Jew. Yet Abraham's descendants began their life with an identity among God's people. So, a Gentile could become a Jew by being circumcised, by joining himself to the covenant people of God. From the beginning, Gentiles could be engrafted in uh, to, to Israel. And, and so there was nothing exclusive about Israel in this sense. Gentiles could be uh, brought into the Old Covenant. They could be uh, grafted in and identified with Israel, even from the beginning. Page 36, Ritterboss, uh, see that's why I'm struggling. I, I want to say Ritterboss. There's a Ritterboss. It's Robertson. I don't know why I'm confusing these in my mind. Um, By the exile, Abraham's descendants became not my people. Yet the old covenant made with Israel did not end with the exile. So, the Lord did threaten to cast Israel off should they break the covenant. We looked at this, I think it was last week. Uh, The old covenant was conditional. It was a covenant of works. From the very beginning it was made clear by God that if the covenant were broken... The people could be cast off. He would vomit them out of the land. That is the kind of language that is used in Scripture. And by the time of the exile, that is to say the Babylonian captivity, Abraham's descendants, that is to say Israel, became not my people. Yet the old covenant made with Israel did not end with the exile. They returned to the land. And if I were to ask you, why did they return to the land? If you were to give me one reason, what would you say? Why did... Why were the people of Israel brought into the land? The Jewish people, why were they brought back from the exile? For what purpose? They rebuilt the temple. It's a good answer. I have something else in mind. Christ hadn't come. The Messiah hadn't come. So the promises of God concerning the Messiah had not yet been fulfilled. And so God showed mercy, brought them back so that He would be faithful to His covenant promise. Okay, but the point, I think, that is being made here is that this is the language of Scripture. These people who were set apart as God's people became not my people, according to the Lord, because they had broken the covenant. For the election of God could be redirected, Robertson says. Yet the Lord promises that He will not cut off His people altogether. This is on page 36, and it's building upon things that were said earlier. Uh, we read um, excerpts from the prophets last Uh, last Sunday, uh, where the Lord, um, through the prophets, said that a time would come when there would be an altar to His name, not not in Israel, but even in Egypt and in Assyria, and how He would call other people to Himself to worship Him. He would be exalted by them, and Israel would be in the third place. We've, We've considered these things, and so of course we are building upon these principles here with these statements that are being made. So the election of God could be redirected And the prophets speak this way, saying, Listen, I chose you, but I could have just as easily chosen another nation, and I could choose another nation even still. Uh, It it is the Lord's prerogative as to who he calls, and his election can be redirected, even according to the old covenant. Yet the Lord promises that he will not cut off his people altogether. I don't think Robertson cites Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, uh, but I would like to cite this text now, and actually this is kind of arising out of a conversation that I had with John Heffelfinger a couple of days ago. He was just bringing this to my attention. You know we cite Jeremiah 31:31 through 34 often speaking of the coming new covenant. He said, but it needs to be emphasized what is said there. It is said that the, the coming new covenant is going to be made with the house of Israel and, and the house of Jacob. That's significant, I think. Let me read the text and then I'll explain what I mean. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. So this is the prophet Jeremiah writing long before uh, Christ came, pointing forward to something in the future, namely the new covenant. uh, The covenant that Christ inaugurated. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I said Jacob earlier, I don't know why I said that. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, it's not going to be like the Mosaic Covenant. When was the New Covenant cut? When was it inaugurated? At Christ's first coming, uh, He makes mention of it when He institutes the Lord's Supper as He celebrates the Passover with His disciples. Of course, when He dies, is buried and is raised again, the the New Covenant uh, began. It was made, ratified in in His blood. And what is different about the New Covenant from the old? That's what's stressed here in Jeremiah 31. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. It's not going to be like the old one. And what are the differences according to this text? Do you guys notice any differences, differences that are stressed? Writing on the hearts and verses of stone. Yeah, so this, those who are a part of this covenant are going to have the law of God written within them through regeneration, we would say, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what else do you notice Under this new covenant, everyone in the covenant will know the Lord. They will have the Lord as their God, and they will be His people. How is that different from the old Mosaic covenant? How is that different? It was mixed It was mixed in what sense? Well, in, in that there were a lot of people, a lot of Jews, a lot of Hebrews, who were born into that old covenant, who didn't know the Lord. Just read the Old Testament. And you'll see it. There were times where the prophets of God thought that they were the only ones left. (laughs) You know? I'm looking around and everyone is just filled with wickedness. Hates the Lord. There's idolatry everywhere. And and, and the prophets from time to time complained to the Lord that there were just so few that maybe they were the only ones left. And yet all of these people who were descendants from Abraham according to the flesh, they were members of the Old Covenant. They were circumcised, the males, they were circumcised members of the Old Covenant. So, the Old Covenant was mixed. It was very mixed. The Old Covenant was made with an ethnic people. All who were born from Abraham were born into this Old Covenant. But there were so many who lived under the Old Covenant who did not know the Covenant Lord. They did not know Him truly. They did not have the law of God written upon their hearts. They were not forgiven of their sins. They were not saved. Because they didn't trust in the promises of God. Though they were members of that covenant externally. And the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah is, is saying that I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant. It's going to be so different. The law is going to be written on the heart of all who are members of this covenant. They're going to be forgiven. They're going to know me. And I will be their God. Right. So this is going to be a very different covenant. And if I were to ask you the question... and, and Don't think about this text right now, but just put it out of your mind if you can do that. If I were to ask you the question, who is the New Covenant made with? In other words, who are the members of the New Covenant? What would be the most simple answer to that question? Okay, I just heard a lot of answers. They're all good. The elect of God, those who are saved. Any other way of saying it? All who are in Christ... You're getting ahead of me, though. (laughs) All, All who are in Christ, all who have faith in Him. And then the comment that was just made from Chad, and it's the right one and it's the point that I'm here making, is that the prophet uses the language of Israel and Judah. The prophet says that this new covenant is going to be made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He uses this language. And so if we are to interpret this passage In light of the rest of the scripture, I think what we must say is that the prophet Jeremiah is using the language of Israel and Judah to refer to true Israel and true Judah. That is to say, the elect of God who are regenerate, who are forgiven, who have faith in the promised Messiah. Can you see it? Who is the Israel of God? Who is the Israel of God? I'll admit there are different ways to talk about that. We could say, all who are born of Abraham under the Old Covenant were the Israel of God. Okay, true. But there's another way of talking about that. There is a true Israel of God. They are the elect of God. They are those who have the faith of Abraham. And even the Old Testament Scriptures point forward to the coming New Covenant and say it's going to be made with Israel. Israel. Is it made with Israel? In, a, in, a, in the way that others may think about this. Is it made with ethnic Israel. No, the whole point is that it's different in this regard. It's made with those of faith. And yet that's the terminology that is used. I find that important. You're staring at me like you don't. But maybe you're just thinking about it. I I think it's very important. And we'll see that Paul the Apostle and others pick up that way of speaking in the New Testament uh, very profoundly. Let's move on to point five that Robertson makes. Jesus indicated that the kingdom would be taken from Israel, yet God has not cast off His people altogether. He expands on all of these points in his book. Please read it. I'm moving rather quickly through these points. But even Jesus Himself indicated that the kingdom would be taken from Israel and given to another. Look at Matthew 21.43. These are the words of Christ. Therefore, I tell you, the Jews, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing its fruits." So it's not going to belong to you exclusively. The Kingdom is going to belong to those who produce fruit. That is to say, to those who have faith in the promised Messiah and bear fruit in keeping with faith and repentance. So the Kingdom is going to be taken away from the Jews, taken away from Israel. That's kind of clear, isn't it? It's clear. Romans 11, 1-5, here is Paul. He says, I ask then, has God rejected His people? Because he's dealing with this theme of Israel being, being cast off. I ask then, has God rejected His people? And he says, by no means. By no means has God rejected His people. So we should ask the question, Okay, then in what sense? What do you mean, Paul? And here he goes. He explains For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, look at me, I myself am an Israelite, I descend from Abraham. And of course he is here talking about his descent from Abraham according to the flesh. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. In other words, this is the meaning. God has not rejected his people, that is to say, the elect of israel do you not know what the scripture says of elijah so he points back to the old covenant how he appeals to god against israel lord they have killed your prophets they have demolished your altars and i alone am left this is how this is how the prophet elijah feels i alone am left and they seek my life they want to kill me but i'm quoting paul again What is God's reply to him? And here we quote Scripture. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. I told you this was about election, didn't I? The the language of foreknowledge that was mentioned above. That's the language of election or predestination. And it pops up again here at the end of this text. The, The point that Paul is making is that God... God has kept for Himself a remnant from amongst the Jews. They are those who are chosen by grace. And Paul is one of these. He is, he is an example of one of these Jews, these Israelites, these Hebrews, descended from Abraham according to the flesh, who had faith in the promised Messiah. and he, So, he is one of these elect. He is, he is like one of the 7,000 who were kept in the days of Elijah, who had not bowed the knee to Baal. So, there were a great multitude of people... Uh, living in the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant, but only 7,000 remained. Elijah thought he was the only one. and So this principle has always been present. The descendants of Abraham, some believed, many did not. And so God always had His elect, a remnant within Israel. And the same is true to this present day, mind you. There are some uh, Jews, according to the flesh, who do trust in the promised Messiah, Paul was one of these, and there are still some present in the world even today. So Jesus indicated that the kingdom would be taken from Israel, Matthew 21, 43, yet God has not cast off His people altogether. It's not as if He has put away the Jews entirely. He still has a remnant. There are elect Jews who have faith in the promised Messiah. Point number six that is made by Robertson. Is this, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, yet Christ has made Jew and Gentile into one. Christ has made Jew and Gentile into one. The phrase here, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. I I think what we are to see is that God did set apart Israel under the Old Covenant and He did promise them certain things. Some of those promises found their fulfillment in the Old Covenant when they took possession of the land when King David was appointed, when a great multitude did descend from Abraham, etc. Many of those promises were fulfilled, even in the days of Joshua, let's say. But some of those promises um, had to do with the coming Messiah. And those promises have been fulfilled as well. The Messiah has come, and some of the promises given to Old Covenant Israel will find their fulfillment in the consummation of all things. So, it is true that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance Uh, He does accomplish all of, he does keep all of his promises, rather. Yet Christ has made Jew and Gentile into one. And this is, brothers and sisters, this is the clear teaching of the New Testament. It is everywhere present. And I would say that it is a major theme of the New Testament that under the new covenant, God is calling the nations to himself through the Messiah. And he is bringing Gentiles in to engraft them into his his covenant people. It's such a major theme in the New Testament. We could even say that this is really one of the major things that got Christ killed. It's one of the things that infuriated the Jews, that he would speak of going to the Gentiles. It, It infuriated them. And those who remained in unbelief, this is one of the main things that they were unwilling to accept. That God's plan of redemption would, would be about the Gentile nations and not ethnic Israel only. It is such a major theme in the New Testament. Here is one place where it is dealt with head on. Ephesians 2.14-22. Here Paul writes to the church in Ephesus saying that He Himself, that is Christ, is our peace. And here he's not referring to our peace with God. It, that's in the background I'm sure But here he is referring to the peace that exists now between Jew and Gentile. For Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, that is in Christ, one new man in the place of two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So here he is speaking of the division that used to exist between Jew and Gentile, and that division was maintained through the law, expressed through ordinances. What sorts of laws, give me examples of laws from the Old Covenant that divided Jew and Gentile. Anyone? Circumcision. Circumcision. <laughs> Great. I'm glad that's the first one that came to mind. What else? The temple, the temple itself had layers to it, right? It had well, Gentiles could only go so far. What else? Association with Gentiles. Certain times make them Association with Gentiles. I'm also thinking of um, the dietary restrictions that aren't universal. They weren't present in the world in the the days of Abraham, for example, and they aren't present in the world today. But under the Old Covenant, Jews could not eat certain foods. And that really divides people. It prohibits table fellowship, doesn't it? Uh, But yet those laws were for a time, because there was to be a division for a time. God did set an ethnic people apart for a time. But circumcision? No longer. These dietary restrictions have been lifted. Why? Because this dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, it's gone. It is gone. And if your theological system wishes to maintain it or to, to, to reconstruct this wall, it's, it's wrong. It's unbiblical. Because Paul is here saying that no, these two have been made one in Christ Jesus. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down, I continue quoting Ephesians 2. And Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Who is he talking about here? Who are those who were far off? Gentiles. Who are those who were near? Jews. And what has Christ done? He has came and preached peace to both groups. For, I quote again, through Him, through Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." So, let's use this terminology for a moment, let's use the terminology of temple. Who is the true temple of God? It is all who are united to Christ by faith, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. True children of Abraham, true Israel of God, true temple of God, you see the theme here. It all culminates in Christ and in our union with Him, wrought by faith. Our spirit wrought union with Christ. Okay, so this is just one text that insists that Christ has made Jew and Gentile one. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards in redemptive history. Don't go to to things that were meant to pass away. Don't go to those forms and to those systems that were meant to divide for a time until the Christ did come through Israel. Don't go backwards, but recognize the coming of the Messiah and all that it entails." Seven, and this is the point that I really want to just spend the most time on um, and, and read some scripture texts uh, in support of this point. The Israel of God today, the Israel of God today includes believing Jews, yet it does not include exclude believing Gentiles. So if I were to ask you the question, who is the Israel of God today? What should the answer be? Jews and Gentiles who have faith in Christ, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Abraham is the father of two communities then, believing Jews and Gentiles, and they are brought together in Christ Jesus. So, here we have Romans 4, 9-12 listed. Is this blessing, uh, that is to say the blessing of the forgiveness of sins received by faith, Then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So, Paul is using the language of circumcision to describe Jew and Gentile, isn't he? Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Listen to to this question that Paul asks. Was it before or after he had been circumcised. And we might look at Paul and say, who cares? Why does that matter? Why are you nitpicking over this little detail of chronology? Was Abraham justified by faith before or after he's circumcised? Why does it matter, Paul? Well, it matters because if it is after he is circumcised, it might suggest that this justification by faith is only for the circumcised. But if it is before, then we see that Abraham was, was justified, if we may speak in this way, as a Gentile. Does that sound weird to you? (laughs) I mean, I think that's the point. If he was justified by faith before he was set apart as a Jew through the sign of circumcision, then he was justified by faith, in a sense, as a Gentile. So, in Abraham, we actually have both things going on here. We have a Gentile Jew being justified by faith. I think that's the point that Paul is making, Scott. Yeah. Um, he, he was, I, I think it's it's more proper to say he was a pagan, just because because that's you know he came from the world he came out of out of a pagan world. But to say he's a gentile doesn't make sense to me because he's from the the line of Shem. He's he's a Shemite or a Semite. That that was ethnic. So how can they call him a, a gentile? When gentile is an ethnic term uh, term that's used for non-Jew. Hmm. Well, I, yes, I think if you were to press it and to speak with total precision, maybe you can make that distinction. And maybe, I'll think about that, no, maybe no, it is proper no, to... <clears throat> kind of, like, I, I so, for the sake of the recording, the preference would be that we refer to Abraham as a pagan before his calling and circumcision, but not a Gentile. Well, I think the point be, is being made here that Abraham was not set apart as a, particular, as a Jew or as a, a, a particular... Uh, and uh, sanctified people prior to his calling and circumcision. So it might be a matter of semantics, brother, if I can continue. Um, I'll think about that. But I think the point is the same point in substance that Paul is here making in this Romans 4 passage that we are considering. He, He is concerned to talk about the chronology. To say that Abraham was justified by faith Before He was circumcised. Was it before or after He had been circumcised? It was not after, but before He was circumcised, Paul says. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that He had by faith, while He was still uncircumcised. The purpose, so Paul says there was actually a purpose in this chronology. The purpose was to make Him the Father... "...of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised." So Paul is quite clear here in Romans 4, 9-12 that, that Abraham is the father of, of two communities. He's the father of all who have faith... Who are set apart as Jews and circumcised, and He is the Father of all who have faith who are of the Gentiles. So, what matters is not circumcision, but a new creation is what matters. And here I have Galatians 11, 6 11 through 18 uh, listed out before you. Uh, Paul. Uh, Near the end of the book of Galatians, and by the way, he is building an argument all the way through the book of Galatians that concludes here. And we don't have the time to go all the way through the book of Galatians this morning. But near to the end of the book of Galatians, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So he must have been writing through someone. He must have been dictating up to this point. But he takes the pen at this point and writes with really large, bold letters. Uh, because he wants to to stress this with his own hand, he says it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Um, so there were we, we call them Judaizers in the early church who were insisting that in order to in, in, in order to be in Christ in order to be a part of God's covenant people, you had to be circumcised. So, that's going back to the Old Covenant. It's actually, these Judaizers are saying, you have to become a Jew, right? You have to be set apart as a Jew. And Paul is insistent throughout the book of Galatians saying, no, and and if you believe this, you're lost. If you believe this, you've completely misunderstood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, he picks up the pen and he writes with large letters, and he's saying they want to make a good showing in the flesh. This is a fleshly thing that they want to do, as they want to force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are unc- who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified. Crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. If we're to insert the terminology that that we've been using in this lesson. For neither being a Jew counts for anything, according to the flesh. uh, Nor being a Gentile, but a new creation is what counts. And as, here's Paul again. And as for all who walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So there's that phrase that the book is titled after here in Galatians 6. For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So These were the marks of His persecution. That's the mark that Paul cares about. Not the mark of circumcision, but the marks of Jesus as he's identified with him in his suffering the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers amen is what he here says. Now um, Robertson Robertson um, takes some time to talk about the different possible interpretations of this phrase and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God he says, well, we can take this in a few different ways. We could distinguish between those who rock, walk by this rule and upon the Israel of God as if Paul is talking about Christians and non-believing Jews. He says, that's ridiculous. That's counter to Paul's whole argument here that he would um, you know, oppose those who want to make much of the flesh and then pronounce blessing upon them at the end of, of, of the book. Uh, here is where he lands though, without going over all of his arguments. After a prolonged treatment of the phrase, the Israel of God, on pages 39-43, Robertson says, Following hard on that principle, Paul declares that the new creation, the new community within humanity brought into existence by the cross of Christ, in its uniting of Jews and Gentiles into one new people of God, is the community that may be designated as the Israel of God. Combined into one body, they represent all those who refuse to distinguish between Jew and Gentile. And and I think that's the correct interpretation of, of this verse here. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He is saying that the Israel of God consists of all those who have faith in the Messiah who refuse to make a distinction between... Jews and Gentiles, according to the flesh. They see that the Messiah has come. They have faith in Him. They realize that He has broken down this dividing wall of hostility, to use the language of Ephesians 2. And and, um, and so, blessing is pronounced upon them. And then, Robertson quotes Calvin, who says, In a word, Paul gives this appellation, that is title, of the Israel of God to those whom he formally denominated the children of Abraham, by faith. That is looking back to Galatians 3.29. And thus includes all believers, whether Jews or Gentiles, who were united into one church. So here Calvin gives this interpretation, and I think it is the proper one. It, it, It deals with the context. Paul has been arguing in in the book of Galatians that the true children of Abraham are those who have faith in the promised Messiah. The faith of Abraham. They are the true children of Abraham. Now, as he concludes this letter, picks up the pen and writes it with his own hand, he calls these, those who have faith in the promised Messiah, the Israel of God. It was true even under the Old Covenant, as it is true today, that not all Israel is Israel. I can't remember if Robertson makes this point, or if this is just me wanting to read some more Scripture to you on this theme, I think I added it. Romans 9, 1-8. through 8. Can we just read these texts and then, and then we will conclude? I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. By the way, don't you appreciate Paul's heart for ethnic Jews, his kinsmen according to the flesh? I mean, he is saying, I so wish that they would come to faith in the Messiah. In fact, if I could trade my salvation for all of their salvations, I would do it, is basically what Paul is saying. If I could be accursed and all of ethnic Israel be brought to faith in in the promised Messiah, then I would do it. And we should appreciate Paul's perspective, and in fact we should have the same sort of perspective, that we, we so long to see Jewish people come to faith in the Messiah. We should have this same desire. By the way, those who teach this stuff, it's really pathetic, but <laughs> it will happen. You begin to teach this stuff, you begin to talk this way with other evangelicals. Some will accuse you of being anti-Semitic. You do understand that, right? Because you are teaching that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, and, and that all who have faith in the Messiah are the Israel. You'll be accused of anti-Semitism by people who are... I think just ignorant of, of these things. And, and and so I think it is right for us to say, no, we should have this same anguish in our hearts for ethnic Jews who remain un, in unbelief. We should love them. We should desire that they come to faith in the Messiah and to repentance and thus be saved. Um, and we see this in Paul. It should be our heart as well. He goes on to say in Romans 9. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. So he's looking back on redemptive history and saying, This people, so many blessings had been have been poured out upon them. All this stuff belongs to them. They were set apart as a unique people. All of these wonderful blessings have been poured out upon them. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are accounted are counted as offspring. That's very clear, isn't it? That little phrase up here, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, should catch your attention. Paul is saying that there is an Israel according to the flesh, from genealogical descent from Abraham, but not all who are of Israel in that sense belong to Israel in this sense. That is, they are not the Israel of faith. So Paul uses the term Israel in two different ways. There is an Israel according to the flesh, but it is not the true and spiritual Israel. There is a true and spiritual Israel that has always existed within the Israel according to the flesh. And Paul is saying I long for more Jews, kinsmen according to the flesh to be saved. I have here Romans nine twenty one through 33 also listed out And I'm out of time. Can I just read it to you really fast? Here, Paul is dealing with the topic of election. And... He asks the question, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God deciding to show His, desiring to show His wrath and to make His power known has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles." There's a lot to say about that verse. Um, Let's keep focused on the point. As indeed he says in Hosea, the prophet Hosea, "...those who were not my people I will call my people. And her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to him, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God." And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that But that Israel who who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is an important text. I don't have time to say everything that needs to be said about it. But Paul is quite clear that yes, the Lord has determined to do something that might surprise us in the history of redemption. He set Israel apart for a time. He gave them wonderful gifts. And yet we find that very few from within Israel believed. They rejected and killed their own Messiah. And God has, has done a great work amongst the Gentiles. And it is shocking. But that is what Paul is here drawing our attention to. I'll close with Romans 10:1 through 4 Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is, for the non-believing Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I think that's a wonderful verse for us to conclude with, um, brothers and sisters. Um, I just wanted to read a lot of scripture to you today. I wanted you to see it clearly stated in the New Testament. Uh, I do appreciate the the um, the remark about uh, the inappropriateness of calling Abraham a Gentile. I have to think more about it. It's a it's a way of speaking in order to make the point that um, though Abraham was of the line of Shem, no doubt, who had been set apart and, and blessed. Um, yeah, He was not set apart as as a Jew, as it were, uh, while he was dwelling in a pagan land. The Lord had to call him and set him apart. And he did this so as to bring the Messiah into the world through him. And he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thanks be to God for His mercy and grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, do help us to understand this important topic. Lord, we are surrounded by professing Christians who would strongly disagree with these things that are being said. And Lord, so we ask that you would help us to interact with them. Give us clarity of mind concerning this truth. Also, give us the ability to speak with others in a way uh, that brings honor to you, O God. Uh, I do pray that you would help your church today uh, better appreciate all that Christ Jesus has accomplished. We thank You, O God, that that You have sent this gospel of the kingdom to far off places such as this one in which we live to call us to faith in Jesus the Messiah. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.